Hey, good morning. How's it going? Name's Andy Kelly. This is Water's Edge. It is November 5th, Daylight Savings Sunday, which is awesome. Extra hours sleep. Pretty pumped about that. And our community is actually meeting on Moonlight Beach, so we do not have the technology to record the message there. Thus, we are going to pre-record it here. So you're getting the uh, first go around here. And uh, I'm just going to read our scripture today. We actually have <clears throat> someone in our gathering who provides an invocation and receives prayer requests, and then they read our scripture. But I'll start out with it. It's fairly short. It's in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20. We're within the conversation about discovering or rediscovering the ways of Jesus. Uh, the title of the sermon series we call is Footsteps. We want to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And Jesus is getting away of the disciples right now, and he asks a very important question. But what we're going to focus on today is the fact that Jesus is getting away with the disciples. And then the question. So Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20, the scriptures read this. Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and the disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Following the reading of scripture, we have a call to worship, which is fun and new for us, um, and then a call to give. So if you are listening, if you're a member of our community, uh, please consider giving uh, at thewatersedgechurch.org slash give. Uh, we, we would ask those who call this place their home to give faithfully. If you're a guest or you're just checking it out, of course, don't feel any spoken obligation to give. Um, any giving is a response to God's gracious love. So be free. No one has to pay to come to church and God and the scripture says that we want to give from a cheerful heart. So if we're not giving cheerfully, uh, we need to first have a conversation with God about that before we can give freely. So yeah, my name is Andy. I'm pastor. I'm one of the many shepherds at Water's Edge. Um, and uh, we exist to love God and others, particularly in these difficult and divisive times. And uh, years ago, uh, over a decade now, I was asked a question, and I've, I've mentioned this question years past, but it's always worth revisiting. I was asked how I would be, quote, taken out, quote, of ministry. How I would be taken out of ministry. And this question alludes to the many specific temptations that I have that could lead me to immoral action. For example, adultery, inappropriate emotional attachments, abuse, untempered rage, narcissism, embezzlement, the list goes on and unfortunately on. And in church leadership, it is a necessary question in, in ongoing conversation. It's almost certainly a necessary question for all of us. We must be aware, not anxious or fearful, but aware of the ways the evil one, um, the ways of the world, and our sinful desires can and, and could take us out. I mean, perhaps the broader question, instead of how I would be taken out of ministry, I think the broader question is, what are the ways that we would stumble and fall? Uh, what are the ways that we could do damage to so many relationships and God-given 
responsibilities. Damage to relationships and responsibilities that God's given us. And true, God can heal. Yet we don't plan to get injured in order to get healed. Uh, far worse, we won't want to be trapped in any certain sin, perhaps never to be, quote, caught, and therefore slowly desensitized to the work of God in and around our lives. I'll say it again. We don't want to be trapped in any sin, never to come bring it to the light. I felt like saying come clean, but it's better to say bring it to the light. Less shame, more invitation, because where the light is, there's grace. We don't want to be trapped in any certain sin and bring it to the light and not bring it to light and therefore slowly desensitize to the work of God in and around our lives, which actually leads to the way I believe I would be taken out of ministry. How would I be taken out of ministry? It could be a lot of ways. One way I'm beginning to pay attention to is burnout. Burnout. I hate admitting that. Um, burnout, this inability to rest and truly rest well is an ongoing temptation for me. Sometimes it is a subsequent sin, at least the standards uh, that I have agreed to with God, the, the standards that God holds me to. Uncoincidentally, it's also a generational pattern I've received in my life and therefore a core wound of mine. And I don't want to really touch too much on that other than to provide a little bit of grace um, in this conversation to recognize that it's likely something that we've, we've carried with us that has uh, been modeled to us. It literally is the way our world works in so many ways. And uh, a lack of rest, a.k.a. continuous striving, is a sin that can easily drift into other sins and or anxieties, depending on how you classify sin, uh, like pride, which is a sin. Hey, I can do it. I can do this. I can do this. That's a sin. Financial fear, which may not be sin, maybe more of anxiety. I don't want to get too categorical here. But financial fear says I, I, I must do it in order to sustain everything rather than trusting God. Um, sloth. Uh, because I did it, I, I'm just going to check out. And, and even lust, I deserve this because I did it. Burnout, a.k.a. continuous striving, leads to other sins. And still the question remains, well, why call a lack of rest a sin, Andy? Well, I'm going to contend that because out of love, God commands us to rest. And you and I, we say, no, no. Hey, Andy, rest. Nope. No, no, we say no to God <clears throat> to the detriment of ourselves and others. And from the very beginning of his ministry, what do we see Jesus do? He rests. Jesus implemented rhythms of rest and respite so that he and the Lord's followers would be physically maintained and spiritually sustained. He lived a perfect life. He didn't say no to God. We say no God. And I don't want to get uh, into an in-depth conversation of the physical maintaining side. I don't want to have a phys ed talk. I'm not your gym coach. Um, but rest, recovery, rehabilitation 
it's so necessary in life. Your body needs rest in order to recover, yet also requires what I like to call agreeable rehabilitation when you're resting. Meaning a day of rest rarely means just sitting on the couch all day watching TV. Rest means being outdoors, moving our bodies, stretching and rehabilitating our bodies in delightful, exciting, and sometimes even rigorous means. We serve the God who is physically resurrected. Matter matters, material matters, the earth matters, your body matters. What I want to expand upon today is the spiritual aspect of burnout. A lot of times we think of burnout as this physical collapse or mental breakdown, shutdown, almost coma-like. And perhaps that can happen, but more times than not, burnout, it involves a developing apathy slash indifference towards the work of God. Burnout involves a, a developing apathy slash indifference towards the work of God, the life of Christ. This is when one begins to or continues to consciously or unconsciously settle rather than living with kingdom conviction. Burnout is the salt in an individual or even group losing its saltiness. It's the salt in someone or someone's losing their saltiness. The beginnings of burnout are low level, difficult to describe. It's when we're over capacity and under concerned about it. Over capacity and under concerned about it. These beginnings typically coincide with a letting go, with a letting go of the support systems we need, we specifically need. It's not just our morning time in the scriptures, though that is definitely part of it, but it's those activities that are inherently designed by God to give us joy and refreshment and renewal, like playing pickleball, practicing piano, silence and solitude, calling a friend, working out, running on the beach, surfing or boogie boarding, uh, attending church, making love, to our spouse, taking naps, stretching out our hamstrings or different yoga practices, writing to our moms or someone who just loves loving us, journaling our losses, making chili, baking cookies, walking during the harvest moon. Holy cow, did you see that harvest moon this week? Uh, grabbing a beer with a kingdom friendship, uh, someone who keeps you accountable to the work of God. These aren't just niceties in life. These are necessities. These are support systems we deeply need yet tend to neglect. So I think one thing we want to process is when you and I reach capacity, most of us are, what are the specific support systems? What are the specific support systems that I am needing uh, to keep my heart alive, engaged, tender, and surrendered? <clears throat> Proverbs 4.23 states that we must watch over our heart with all diligence, uh, for from it flows the springs of life. So what are the specific support systems I'm needing? To ask this question is to be in touch with our desires and longings. As one spiritual director, and I want to give kudos to her, Cheryl Fleischer told me as well as um, other people, 
Our desires and longings are the fuel that motivates any reordering of our lives and any consistent, healthy rhythm of life. We have to be in touch with our desires and longings because that's what fuels the reordering of our lives and any consistent, healthy rhythm of life. Otherwise, it becomes just one more thing to do. So like in addition to other physical activities, I envision myself a lot of times doing some full-blown solo hit, which is a, what is a high-intensity, I forget what they're called, high-intensity workout every morning. But my desire to do that is super low. Be and, and therefore, it becomes one more thing to do. Actually, when it comes to working out, I like to be in community with others. I like to work out with my wife. I like to work out in different ways with others. There are some things I like that are physically active, but that I'll do on my own, but they're not working out. So long story less long, I have a low desire there and probably not going to happen, even though I think I should do it. So what are specific systems you, you need and I need to keep our hearts alive? to keep them tender, to keep them engaged. Uh, the, to know the answer to this question, that actually needs space. And the issue with burnout, it arises from the unbelief that there is no space to be. It arises, and no, in other words, the unconscious unbelief, sometimes conscious, whether we want to admit or not, that God doesn't give us space to be when indeed God does give us space to be and be refreshed. And this is where we go into scripture. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he implemented rhythms of rest and respite so that, and his, that he and his followers would be physically maintained and spiritually sustained. Categorically, he got away typically early mornings, not just then, to be with the Father. And in addition to other Jewish daily prayers, he took additional moments to detach throughout his day, times alone and times with others. He had a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, that did not look like his contemporaries and was entirely more life-giving. He attended synagogue regularly teaching on occasion as part of his Sabbath routine. Finally, he had many periods of rest and respite to get away on days on end. And this is actually where we found ourselves in our passage today. If we look at Luke 9, he asked this important question when he was praying in private and then his disciples were with him, who the crowd say that I am? And they respond with John the Baptist, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets of long ago. But then he asked this question, who do you say that I am? And this is a very important passage. I don't want to dismiss the significance of this passage. This declaration is vitally important to Jesus' ministry as he turns towards this final year leading to the cross. And when opposition arises, this truth of who Jesus is gives truth to the power of the resistance against the resistance, the gospel love of sacrifice on a world of oppressive powers and abuse. It's huge. Peter declares who Jesus is. Jesus declares who Peter is. Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And then we have the most important question that follows with another most important question. Is that oxymoron? Maybe. The two most important questions are Jesus saying to us, who do you say that I am? And then us saying to Jesus, who do you say that I am? And if you read more of this passage, Jesus declares who Peter is. He is the rock, little rock on whom Jesus, the cornerstone, will build his church. It's a very significant passage. One worth reading more. However, for our conversation today, I think what's easily missed and uh, is that they're actually on retreat when Jesus asks this question. 
It says in Matthew 16, 13, that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Meaning that these guys are getting away. They're getting away uh, and revelation comes from their getting away. Jesus takes them to Caesarea Philippi, which is 20 miles north, a day's journey north of Galilee. And for centuries, yeah, Caesarea Philippi is, is a well-known as a pagan center for Pan. But there, geographically, is one of the most beautiful regions that feeds the Sea of Galilee. There's streams, there's even a waterfall, Benias waterfall where you can escape and just be, just to get away and exist as you are. And the disciples had a long season of being sent out two by two to spread the good news of the kingdom, to go house to house and live town to town, praying for healing, declare freedom, and welcome people into the kingdom of God. Ministry was amazing. God did so much. There was joy there. It was fulfilling work. And yet, at the same time, it is work. And work is exhausting. Our work is exhausting. Your work, whatever it is, as a follower of Jesus, is ministry. And we require spaces outside of our norm to remember, reflect, and receive. And this is where I want to present the main idea this morning, that with little rest comes little revelation. If Jesus didn't give these guys time to get away, I'm not sure the revelation would be the same as if they stopped the middle of the ministry and they were working and he asked them that question. He got away to ask this question. He got away. He was away in prayer. His disciples were likely praying with him. And we need spaces to rest in order to receive from God. With little rest comes little revelation. I think another way to say it is with sufficient rest comes sufficient revelation. With space to be comes space to receive. We cannot receive direction from God if we're constantly moving in my direction or my boss's direction or even in the direction of my ministry action plan. It's a thing. People who do not rest do not work for no lasting reason. In the creation narrative, on the first pages of the Bible, it says that there are six days of creation and the science conversation aside, uh, we, we, we must understand that there are anthropological implications for the first two pages of scripture. On the day that humanity was conceived, the sixth day, there's revelation that happens, of course, of who they are, uh, who they're called to be, made in the image of God, called to steward God's creation. And their first day, their first full day of living is actually the seventh day for God, which is a day of rest. Their first day of life is a day of rest, a day just to enjoy God, to delight in what God has given them, reflect and receive further revelation. Most of us know that there are 10 commandments among 600 plus commandments that God gives the people of Israel, but the 10 commandments are, are paramount. They're paramount. And it, uh, the longest language, the most language dedicated to resting, the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should do no work, neither you nor son nor daughter nor your male or female bondservant or slave, nor your animals or any foreign residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the salt 
the sea and all that is in it, but he rested on the seventh day. I think what a lot of us fail to see is in Deuteronomy, when he reteaches these Ten Commandments, when he gives it to them again after their uh, forgiveness for a sin, he, he writes this about the fourth commandment. He provides this expansion. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe this Sabbath day. If we're not resting, this is an indication that you and I are slaves. And if we're slaves, we have a different master than the Lord our God, whether it's a literal boss or the diminutive voice in our heads. If we have a different master, a lack of rest proves this. And we will almost certainly not hear the true master's voice. With little rest comes little revelation. You and I are not slaves. We're free. And the people of God need to step into that freedom and from that freedom step into kingdom opportunities because we can hear the voice of the good shepherd king. So the next portion of our gathering the beach is time just to process what we need to, what specific support systems we need in order to rest and retreat. It's a process that we are inviting the Holy Spirit into. I'm going to attach just a handout that I gave everybody today. You need space in order to reflect on this. It's not something you can fill in the blank. And that was the beauty of being on the beach. It was a beautiful setting, much like the setting that the disciples had when they proclaimed, well, really when Peter proclaimed who God is, who Jesus is as God. And just need to remind us that practices like this, which you've done before, they need to continue because in a broken world, finding our freedom will be an ongoing tension. And as we think about these things which we need, these specific support systems in order to continue on, in order to hear God's voice, we have to abandon the hope of pleasing everyone. And as we put off pleasing, we actually need to put on an intentional effort to rest. It requires intention. It requires putting on the yoke of God. And any rhythm that we do have is, is very personal. We can't compare. No two people are the same. You're not going to do what I do. I'm not going to do what you do. But the rhythm is our responsibility. It's not our spouses. It's not our supervisors. It's not our boss. It's not our pastors. i got to write that one in my notes. Slaves have a victim blame pers personality. Um, persona. You're not a slave anymore. God has set you free. So we're going to consider the ways that we can retreat into rest through many spiritual, physical, relational, mental, and emotional ways. Uh, and the handouts attached. I'm not going to go through all that. What I am going to say is check it out if you're more curious. It's linked to our website at thewatersedgechurch.org slash messages. You can find it there. Watersedgechurch.org slash messages. So I pray that you have a restful day, that this extra hour indeed was a reminder of the gifts that God wants to give you on daylight savings. Yeah, the days are ending earlier, but that's actually the seasonal call to rest more. So Lord, we pray that we would embrace your rest, embrace your rhythms, Jesus, that you are a God who lived a life of fruitful, healthy rhythms so that you could eventually die on the cross. You'd have the strength, the conviction, the wonder, the guidance, and most importantly, the love received in order to love others well. 
Help us to receive your love and rest, whatever that looks like, God. Would it be a conversation between you and I and whoever's listening and you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.